want you to wonder for a moment, how do you feel when someone you dislike gets commended? Now, okay, I'm sure that none of us here dislike anyone. None of us, you know, have any sort of qualms with any person whatsoever. So just imagine for a moment that you did. How do you feel when that person gets commended? Maybe they get the raise at work that you think you should be getting or they get the promotion at work that you think you should be getting. Maybe it's at school or maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's in a sporting club that you're in. How do you feel when the person that you dislike gets commended? It can be really hard. It can be really hard to accept. It can, be, it can be hard to not get bitter. It can be hard to not wonder why it is that they might be getting accommodation that we're not getting. And even sometimes it may not matter. You might get the same promotion they get, but if they get promoted too, your promotion is worthless. So I, I, I almost wish I didn't get this if I've also got to share it with this person that I dislike. When we dislike people, it really can frame the way that we see other things. Here's another question, a different one. If you could have every politician read one Bible story, what would you choose? If you could have every politician read one Bible story, I would choose the Good Samaritan. I find it really fascinating uh, when you hear or you're talk, you know, politicians are talking or sharing their views, and I mean of all stripes, I'm not targeting any particular one, all politicians seem to have this in common, that it's a good idea if it came from your side of the fence and it's a bad idea if it came from the other side of the fence. Nothing good could possibly be said by the other side of politics. It, it couldn't be possible that maybe they have a good idea. And I wonder if, if I had one Bible story that I'd like them to read, it would be the Good Samaritan. And we're going to explore that as we work through this passage today. Uh, we're continuing in our series. It's been a few weeks since we last got to do it, but we're continuing in our series looking at the parables of Jesus, according to Luke. Our mission here as a church is to journey with people towards Jesus. And so the way that we're looking to do that at the moment is to explore what can we learn from the parables. Uh, the parables are little teachings, little stories that Jesus used to bring across an important point that his followers needed to learn. <coughs> and now the parable of the Good Samaritan is iconic. Uh, it's actually really hard to preach on passages like the Good Samaritan. Because almost everyone has heard it. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, a lot of people at least know of the idea of the Good Samaritan uh, and what it's about and what's going on. And the, the general contemporary understanding of the parable of the Good Samaritan is it's simply any good thing done for somebody in need. That a, that a Good Samaritan is someone who does something good. They look after someone, they care for someone, they provide for someone. And that is a very significant part of this parable, but it's actually only half the story. It's really only half of the point that Jesus is trying to make. And so for some of or much of what I'm going to be looking at today, I'm almost going to be trying to hone in on the other part. 
on what is this other part and what is it about that we can learn it that we can see. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to jump with me to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 25. So Luke chapter 10, it'll be up on the screens as normal. Uh, please feel free to, to read along, take notes, whatever it is that you might like to do uh, as we read through this. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So just going to pause there and make sure that we frame this conversation uh, in the way that Jesus is intending for it to be. The question that starts this whole train of thought is simply, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, this, this expert in the law, he is trying to test Jesus. He's not actually expecting Jesus to give the answer that he's looking for. But at least the question that he's asking is a good one. How do, I, how do I get eternal life? How, how do I actually have an understanding that life will go on beyond this life? And, and what must I do in this life for that to occur? And so then Jesus goes on and he's clever. Jesus is very, very shrewd. He's a little bit like a politician at times, but in a different way, in that he doesn't necessarily answer the question. He asks you a question that gets you to answer the question. And so he asks the expert in the law, well, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say? What's your understanding of what the law says? And so then the, the expert in the law gives the correct answer. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And Jesus says, that's it. So even before we move on, just pause there for a moment. What does the Bible teach about receiving eternal life? The New Testament is not a replacement of the Old Testament. It's a fulfillment of it. And here, Jesus reiterates a very simple truth. That the way to receive eternal life is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor. And if you can do that, you will live. Now, there's a whole lot more that there is in it unpacked across the New Testament, uh, how it ties in with Jesus' death on the cross and all those things that we hold to now. But, but Jesus is clear here, reiterates and says, you're actually correct. This is what it takes to receive eternal life. Love God and love neighbor. And that is no different for us after the cross than before. That is the call of following Jesus. Love God, love neighbor. But then this is where we get to have a bit of a look at what's going on and where Jesus starts to hone in on things. But he wanted to justify himself. This is the expert in the law. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, the word here for justify is Digasai, uh, I can't pronounce it very well, but it's up there. Uh, it simply means either to justify 
or to declare righteous. He wanted himself to be declared righteous. Basically, what's going on here is this expert in the law is convinced that he's already doing this. He is already loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he is already loving his neighbor. And he basically wants Jesus to say to him, yes, you're doing this. And so that's why he asks this question. He is expecting Jesus to give an answer, which demonstrates, or at least he's hoping he will, that he's actually already justified. He's already got this going. What about for yourself? When have you wanted to justify yourself? When, when, when do you kind of feel that need to justify? When maybe someone's saying something to you or maybe they're challenging something about you and you kind of feel that feeling that sort of comes up. Oh, no, no, that's not true. This, this is the way it is. You want to justify yourself. The reason you want to justify yourself because you believe that you are right. Anytime that you find yourself wanting to sort of speak back to someone and justify what was going on, Oh, no, no, this is what's really happening because you believe that you're right. You're convinced that you see things the way that they are and that for some reason you need to back up and explain that. <coughs> and so that's what's going on here is the expert in the law, he is convinced that he is right. He is convinced that he's in the right. And remember, he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to get Jesus caught out. But he is sure that the way he sees things is correct. So we get into our parable and we pick it up at verse 30 and it says this, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. I want to pause now. I want to speak to that little phrase at the start, a man. A man here is literally the Greek word, anthropos, and it is simply a man. That is what this word is. This is no one special. This person, Jesus is not accidentally using this. Because he could have used so many other characters or names in putting this parable together. But he simply makes this a man, a nondescript man. Now, one of the ways that this parable is often taught, which is not actually accurate, is it's often taught that the Samaritan helped their enemy because it's often taught that this man was a Jew. And that is possible. They may have been a Jew. But if the point was that they were a Jew, Jesus would have said so. Jesus very deliberately chose to just make it a man. It is not that the Samaritan helps their enemy. It's actually that they just help another person. This could be you. It could be you that was beaten up and left there. How would you like to be treated? And so it's important to note. Now, Jesus does teach a lot about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. It's not that that isn't correct. It's just not the point of this parable. It's just a man. And they were going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, has anyone here been on that place? I haven't. I'm just giving for a note. Okay, so when Martin Luther King went down that path, uh, this is what he's quoted as saying. I remember when Mrs. King and I were in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. 
And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. See, as Jesus told this parable, those who were listening and hearing would have been able to picture this road. And for many of them, this is a path that they would regularly walk. So once again, the idea being there that this could be anyone. Many of his hearers would do this walk. Many of them would know and fear what it would mean to actually be ambushed on this path. What does it mean to be in that position? And so we continue on in the parable. And it says this, a priest happened to be going down the same road, which is, again, not uncommon. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, a priest was a Jew. And again, this is why it's, it's very important. Jesus doesn't accidentally use the characters that he uses. He very deliberately, because this is not a historical story, this is a parable. He gets to set everything up. And so now he uses a priest. Now, a priest is someone who actually talks to God's law and actually demonstrates and gets to determine how God's law is actually applied. If anyone was going to be righteous, surely it was going to be the priest. And yet we see here that he see that when he saw the man, he didn't miss him, he didn't just sort of go along and, and just go past him, he saw him and made a conscious choice to keep walking. Now, this goes against the law. So firstly, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 4, it says this. If you see your fellow Israelites donkey or, a fall, or an ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner get it to its feet. Okay, that's not talking about a person. It's actually making it even worse. Not only should they have not have walked past this, if it was even just the donkey or the ox that had been fallen and beaten, the priest would be expected to stop and help them out. How much more is a person worth than a donkey or an ox? And then in Isaiah 58 verse 7, it's talking about what it means to you know, know God and to follow him. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them. And again and again throughout the Old Testament, there are scriptures that point to this idea of being compassionate and caring and looking out for the one that has fallen on a hard times, who is broken, who is lost, who has been hurt or beaten up. But the priest walks by. Then we see in chapter 10, verse 32, So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So that Levite is deliberately choosing to walk by, away from where this person has fallen. Now, a Levite, again, a Levite is a Jew. Again, they would have been expected to actually stop and help. And these are all the common bits of the story that we all know. The Levites assisted the priests and said, so, okay, maybe the priest was just too busy and just had to get off there, but surely the Levite is going to stop. But they don't. 
And what makes it worse here is actually the way that it's worded in the Greek makes it sound like he came to the place. It's language which is actually about more closer proximity than the priest. So the priest might have been walking at a distance and there he is over there. But the Levite, the Texagist, he came right nearby. He came close to where this beaten man was. And he continued to walk on by. And then Jesus lays down the bit that we've all heard, the bit that everyone knows. But a Samaritan. And the audience would have just gasped at this point. Surely Jesus isn't about to talk about a Samaritan. As he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. But a Samaritan. The thing about Samaritans, they were the enemies of the Jews. There was great vitriol between them, which is really interesting given that the the, the Samaritans come from Samaria, which was the 10 tribes, which were originally part of the 12 tribes. They're actually related and connected. But there was such great vitriol between these groups that you just would not be caught talking about them. You just would not be caught. And so for Jesus to use a Samaritan as the example was just outright outrageous. But he goes on in verse 36 to 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Which of these was a neighbor? Which of these lived up to what would inherit eternal life? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So again, in many cases, this is nothing that many of you won't have heard. But the expert in the law (coughs) couldn't even say Samaritan. Remember, Jesus used the word, but a Samaritan. Such was the discord between the Jews and the Samaritans that the expert in the law couldn't even say the word. They could not bring themselves to even utter the Samaritan. Even under their breath, they didn't even just mumble it. No, they were the one who had mercy on him. And you can almost imagine them sitting there going, I got nothing. Because it's obvious exactly who it was. They might have disagreed a Samaritan would ever do that. But they can't say that in that story someone else didn't do it. But I can guarantee that they were thinking, Samaritans couldn't possibly be more righteous, could they? Like for the Jew to hear Jesus sharing the story would be like them trying to think about their enemy 
being a better follower of Jesus, being a better follower of God than they were. See, a large part of what actually is shared in this story, okay, the focus of the parable is on the Samaritan who looks after, who shows mercy. But you have to remember that this was set up by an expert in the law asking Jesus how they can inherit eternal life. And then Jesus goes on to share this parable. And so the answer actually becomes, don't be surprised if what it actually takes to inherit eternal life might come from places that you don't expect. Or another way of actually putting it, don't let your enemy be a better follower of Jesus than you are. Don't let, your, don't let those people that you dislike, don't let those people who have nothing to do with God. So here's one of the challenges that we have in our, in our culture today. Sometimes people that don't follow Jesus are better Jesus followers than we are. Sometimes people who have no interest in God whatsoever actually live out the teachings of Jesus better than Christians do. And in many ways, that is what Jesus was getting at here. Because the expert in the law, they were so convinced that they were right. They were so convinced that they were justified. They believed the right things. They, they held on to the right things. But the parable of the Good Samaritan has two people, a priest and a Levite, who would have believed the right things. But they didn't do it. They didn't live it. They put on all the airs and graces. I'm sure that priest heading on off to Jerusalem went off to do their priestly duty. Went on to do the things that they were expected to do as a priest. But as a follower of God, they missed the mark. And so Jesus, I think, very deliberately chose the Samaritan because it was really going to spit in the face of those who were listening and they would go, surely the Samaritan wouldn't be a better follower of God than I am. To which Jesus would say, well, there's an easier way of solving that. Have mercy. Have compassion. Put legs onto your beliefs. Don't just tick the right box on your statement of faith. But as opportunity arises in your day-to-day life, be the neighbour to the people who are around you. Because when Jesus gave the example and said, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, what does the law say? The law says, love God and love your neighbour. How do you know that's being done? By living it out. The Samaritan in the story was closer to eternal life than the priest or the Levite. That would have challenged them to their bones. Don't let your enemy, maybe enemy is too strong a word, don't let the people in your life who you know have nothing to do with God and want nothing to do with God, but sometimes, just sometimes, actually live out the teachings of Jesus better than we do. 
So let's review this and have a few of the takeaways. Now, there are going to be four different parts in this review. I'd love you to think about which one in particular maybe is something for you to take away and reflect on. Maybe all four, but for now, just try and think about what's one that you could take this week and look into. The first one is we're not told who the man is. It's really important to note that Jesus just made it an indiscriminate person. Whether they were a Jew or a Gentile, a Samaritan, the king, whoever that might have actually been, that wasn't important in the story. Because it actually shouldn't matter. Whether that person's part of your political party, whether that person's part of your sporting club, whether that person is the person that you've been waiting for them to get what's coming to them, but you wouldn't do that. If you find them lying there beat up on the street, and obviously there's all kinds of other ways this plays out, who they are actually shouldn't matter. Because if you're going to be their neighbour, you're going to care for them and show compassion, irrespective of what's going on. Because every person is made in the image of God. Second one, love is a verb. Love is absolutely a verb. It's a doing word. If you say you have love but you do not have deeds, it's the whole debate, is it, is it faith or is it works? It, it's, a, it's a both and. Love is a verb. The priest and the Levite didn't act out their faith. So it's not enough just to say the right things. It's not enough to appear to have it all together. You've got to put into practice the things that faith calls us to. Don't be blinded. Right actions may come from unexpected places. You might find that there are people who do things that you didn't expect them to do. And you actually have to commend them in that place, even though there might be all kinds of other things they do which are no good. Don't be surprised that good things sometimes will come from unexpected places. And be encouraged by those and be able to see those and be able to champion it. Don't be like the expert in the law who couldn't even say the word Samaritan. If someone is living out the teachings of Jesus, call it out. Even if there's someone that they might do all kinds of other things, in that moment with what they're doing, be able to say, that right there is an example of Jesus. Sure, I might not agree with the rest of what they do and how things are going on, but that action, that thing they're doing, that's in line with the heart of God. Don't be surprised when those things come along. And the last one is this, and this is a little bit of an inference. It's not specifically what the text says, so take this a little bit lightly, but I still think it's an important point. We don't really know why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. But I've certainly heard it taught and said that they were probably wanting to get on with what was important to them. They were busy. They had other things to get to and they didn't have time for that pesky person that was on the road. Busyness absolutely gets in the way of following Jesus. Do you have time in your week to be merciful 
when the opportunity arises. You've got to really fight to protect your calendar. You've got to really fight to protect your rhythms in your life so that when opportunities do come along, you just you know, there, there will be times where you have to work things out. This doesn't mean that every single person you come across who's asking for money or asking for things, that's not the point of the Good Samaritan. There's a whole other series we could do on that one. But to be prepared and able when opportunities to share mercy come along and not be so busy that you can't stop in that moment. To find rhythms and ways. Our, our culture will try and make you busy. It will do everything it can. The enemy does not need to make us do the wrong thing. Just has to make us too busy to do the right thing. We do not have to actually go against the way of God. We've just got to be so busy that we haven't got time to actually live for God. And that's just as bad as not being able to live for him. So I wonder of those four things, we're not told who the man is. So what does it actually look like for you to recognize? It could be you. You could be that person. What does it mean to be able to be a neighbor for whoever comes your way? Love is a verb. Are you living it out? Don't be blinded. Don't be surprised when good things come from people who you might not have expected them to. And be in the place to really champion those and say, yes, that's great. And think about how busy and what life might look like in that space, that you would have time to show mercy when the opportunity arises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for stories like the Good Samaritan. We just pray that you would help us to hear them afresh. It can be hard at times when they're stories that we know so well. So refresh that teaching in our hearts and minds and may we all be like the Samaritan, being ready and prepared to be the neighbour that someone requires, to show mercy and compassion in their time of need. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.